I really had no idea that I was going to watch the entire Hype House show on Netflix. I didn't think I would really watch past episode one. So I was on a trip to Colorado with a bunch of YouTube creators this past weekend, uh, and I flew in with Thomas Bragg of Yes Theory. And on the airplane, I was watching Hype House on my phone. And he turned to me and said, what are you watching? And I was like, the Hype House show. He was like, what? Mm. <laughs> and then I was like, and he was watching some like sophisticated art film. Of and course. I was like, He's Thomas Bragg of Yes Theory. And I was like, who am I? International man of mystery and traveler. <laughs> he doesn't have time for the Hype House show on Netflix. <laughs> Anyhow, I watched the entire thing. I have no idea how much of how many hours of my life have been dedicated to the hype house and the drama that goes in there. But on this episode of the Colin and Samir show, we're actually going to be taking you through some of the top stories from the past week in the creator economy, all stories that have been covered in our newsletter, the published press. So buckle up. Here we go. And before we get going. Oh, okay. Do you subscribe to the published press? Be honest. Yeah, it's a good question. Everyone who's listening out there. Look yourself in the mirror. And just be honest. Sure. Or turn the camera on on your phone and, and just take a look at yourself. Or send it. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. That's or good. look in your yeah. email inbox. Basically, it'd be great. If you guys subscribe to the Publish Press, we send out news about the business of creators every Tuesday and Friday. And everything we're going to talk about in this episode is straight from the Publish Press. We also gave some pretty hot takes about the Hype House reality show. That's true. About a week ago. So if you actually want to know our thoughts, they're in the Publish Press. All right, let's get into it. All right. Our first headline is, is TikTok paying its creators enough? This is a story that came from Hank Green, who's a legendary education creator on YouTube. And he made a series of videos that bring you through how much money he actually makes on TikTok. And what he found was that although his viewership has, uh, you know, been stable or been growing, his money that he's been making from the TikTok creator fund has actually been declining. So, you know, to give you a frame of reference, Hank Green used to make 5.5 cents per view on TikTok, and now he makes 2.7 cents. So, like, we're talking about almost a 50% decrease in how much he made. But what was even more interesting is that prompted other creators to post their earnings from TikTok, which is not as common. Pay transparency is really common with YouTube, not as common yet with TikTok. And I think it's probably because some of those numbers are just so low. Super Saf, who's, who's a creator, um, big creator on YouTube, he made $127 in the last year on TikTok. And Mr. Beast, one of the biggest creators, $14,000 in two years. So pretty wild to see the pay discrepancy. And you know, one of the main reasons that Hank Green talks about is that the TikTok creator fund is a fixed amount. Yeah, let's, let's just talk about how TikTok lets creators monetize and why they have to do it in this type of way. When it comes to short vertical videos, it's very hard to place ads because the videos are six to 15 seconds. When are you going to place the ad? Where would you even place that ad in a way that doesn't totally ruin the experience? And when you're watching 20 videos in five minutes, who do you actually attribute the money to when that ad plays, when the ad is playing between creators' videos, right? So that's inherently like short form vertical video, there's a problem. You can't let creators monetize the same way that YouTube does it. And, and also I think the ethos of the company, you know, they probably don't share the same ethos of wanting to share revenue with creators. TikTok's definitely making a lot of advertising money. When you, when you take a step back, advertising is and will be for, you know, the near future, the foundation of the creator economy. 
the platforms are generating advertising and the only platform that actually shares that money is YouTube. So with TikTok, they're they're trying to quickly roll out new monetization features. People are making money through live on TikTok. People are making money through shopping or, or merchandise. They're trying to roll out paid subscriptions. But the reality is the lion's share of money made by creators is through advertising. But every platform, actually, Instagram with reels, YouTube with shorts, and TikTok has this problem And because of that, they help creators monetize by using what's called a creator fund. So instead of splitting revenue on short form videos, what they do is they have this set amount of money that they put aside to then distribute to creators based on views, based on engagement, based on really whatever they want. So for TikTok, that's $200 million. They've committed $200 million to their creator fund. The reality about that is that it's a fixed amount. So what Hank is saying is that as time is going on and as his views are going up, he has less access to that because it's a fixed amount. It's, it's literally going down. It's like the, 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 the cash is running out for TikTok of how much they've allotted. They have to either increase the creator fund or figure out a new way to compensate creators. So creator funds, I mean, we talked about this before, they just don't work in the same way as revenue shares. Revenue shares are essentially when the platform grows, the creator grows. And so that's why YouTube paid $10 billion to creators last year. Yeah, it's a true partnership. We make money, you make money. $10 billion to creators. That's crazy. And, and, you know, again, I went on a trip this weekend with a bunch of YouTube creators to Colorado. There was a lot of pay transparency on that trip in terms of just handing each other phones to look at YouTube studios. I was, I was both shocked and just so excited to see how much money these creators are making through just YouTube AdSense. Cause that's just such a good sign for the future of the creator economy and such a good sign for YouTube, in my opinion, that although right now with shorts, for example, there is a creator fund with YouTube on shorts. But even when we spoke to Robert Kinsel, the chief business officer of YouTube, he said their intention is to follow the same revenue model or same revenue share model and share in the, in the revenue generated by shorts with the creators. I think the biggest challenge is what you mentioned. How do you do that? Where does an ad play? You know? Yeah. At least like Robert Kinsel was very sure that the fund was a temporary solution to the problem. Whereas I don't know if TikTok sees it as a temporary solution to the problem. We don't really know what they are planning to roll out or how they're planning to continue to compensate creators if they want them to, you know, take it seriously as a platform where they could build a career. I think, you know, in closing, my take here is that YouTube is a creator first platform. YouTube wants stars. YouTube wants you to connect with creators. TikTok doesn't really care. I think TikTok wants you to be on the platform. I don't think they care about their stars as much. And maybe that's a controversial thing that I'm saying. Maybe that I'm wrong, but it feels like, it's beneficial to TikTok if you just are on their for you page, you're experiencing the app and you, you don't know who any of those people are. You can still enjoy it. And I don't think they, they really care if creators themselves grow on the platform. Question is, do audiences care if there are stars on TikTok? I don't. I don't really care. I actually want to watch someone who I think is similar to me, just in their kitchen, making food, talking to me. And maybe they're not a star, quote unquote, or, you know, this very established creator. That's what I love about TikTok. All of a sudden you're in someone else's living room. So the question is, can TikTok lose their quote unquote star creators and retain their cultural stronghold? 
Like they are this epicenter of culture, in my opinion. So like if Mr. Beast says, I'm never posting a TikTok again, is that a problem? No, it's not. No. Interesting. So we'll have to see what happens next. I think it's interesting. If you're on Twitter this week, you're probably going to see more and more creators posting screenshots of how much money they've made on TikTok. This movement, you know, kind of started by Hank Green. I wonder if TikTok does anything. I wonder if they're like, okay, we're going to increase our fund or if they're just like, that's how it works. Build your brand on TikTok, take it wherever you want. They could, but I don't think it's a long-term solution. Like is TikTok using a revolving door model where essentially it's just talent comes in, they become big and sure you can leave, but they're known like they blew up on TikTok. Yeah. So get your start on TikTok. There'll be another one coming. There'll be another one. Everyone's coming through the door at, at one point. So I don't know. Speaking of making money on the platforms, the Nelk boys don't make any money from the platform. They don't make any money from YouTube. YouTube does not pay them an AdSense because they don't want to encourage the type of content they make and they're just not brand friendly. Yeah, they, they've crossed YouTube's guidelines before. And right. so YouTube has actually demonetized them specifically uh, for that reason. So they are forced to find other ways to monetize uh, their brand and their community. And so they do that in a variety of ways. They sell merchandise. They have their Happy Dad Hard Seltzer right? And now they've recently launched this full send meta card an NFT and they sold 10,000 of them sold out in 10 minutes, only gave their community 24 hours notice and they made $23 million. That's crazy. I think it, it's very, you know, illuminating for me. I I've always felt, or recently I felt that with crypto projects or NFT projects and creators that I wasn't sure if creator audiences are ready to engage with that. Like I wasn't sure if like the adoption is at that point where you can roll out an NFT project as a creator and that many people will buy it. I mean, we're talking about, you have to buy it on OpenSea. You have to have an Ethereum wallet. You have to pay gas fees to purchase it. Like if you're listening, you've never heard of these things, then I think you're part of the majority of people, but maybe people who are watching creators are just so native to the internet that of course they have an ETH wallet. You know, part of what it was marketed that, you know, fans and buyers would get would be access, future access to gyms and casinos. Right. Right. If Nelk were to launch gyms, Nelk were to launch casinos, that's what they say they're planning on doing, I believe. And this card would give you access. Maybe it would be a partnership with a casino. I don't know. But even putting that out there that this card that you buy, this NFT will get you, give you access to a casino implies that the audience they're trying to reach is interested in gambling, right? Mm -hmm. And there's an element of NFTs that's very speculative, similar to stocks, which is similar to gambling. So I think like the Nelk audience skews potentially a little bit in this direction anyway, to be interested in NFT, maybe more than another creator's audience. And I think what's interesting about this is that the utility of the NFT was pretty vague. Like you mentioned, they said it'll give you future access to their projects. But when you think about that, you're essentially buying into the futures of Nelk, right? You're Mm -hmm. buying into saying, wherever these guys are going, I'm bought in. And what we wrote in the published press is, the Nelk Boys' first NFT project is almost like their IPO. It's an opportunity for their most diehard fans to help support what the future of the brand will look like. Raising $23 million in a matter of minutes is unlike anything we've seen in the creator community. I mean, I really do believe this is kind of like an IPO for a creator. Gary V said that when we talked to him, that yeah. V friends was like his IPO where it's, you can always update the smart contract. So a smart contract with, you know, a crypto project, is essentially like you're rolling out an NFT, you buy my NFT. I can just update what that gives you access to 
forever. I can just change what that gives you access to and say, okay, now it gives you access to my exclusive content. Now it gives you access to this flavor of happy dad seltzer. Now it gives you access. So they actually don't have to commit to anything. They just have to commit to doing something and that, and that you're buying into being a Nelk fan. And in theory, they are incentivized to make the experience better for those that hold these NFTs. Mm-hmm. And if the experience is better, there'll be a higher demand and the price will go up. That's an important point. A lot of people asked me about this story and said, isn't it just $23 million in one shot and then that's it? But that's not the case. There will be a resale market for these, right? There'll be a situation where, you know, someone is done with their Nelk membership. Maybe they have a family and they're like, I can't be a part of the Nelk stuff anymore. You know, I can't go to Nelk Fest or whatever like okay. music festival they probably throw uh, with this. And they're like, I'm going to sell my, my meta card, my full send meta card. And at that time, the MetaCard maybe is worth $10,000 because it gives you access to all these really cool things and that's worth it. And someone who is now a Nelk fan is going to go, yeah, I'll buy that. And the Delta from what they bought it for and how much they make, there's a percentage of that that goes to the creator, to Nelk. So they can actually capitalize on this resale market over the next 10, 20, however many years this goes. The risk that they face and that I think a lot of creators face with these types of projects is that what you're trying to do here is build a strong community and you're gating the community behind this dollar that they have to spend, this amount. But because it's an asset that will increase in value, you're also facing this issue where your most diehard fans might get to the point where they need the money and they have to sell it off. So what does your community look like two, three, four, five years down the line if a lot of people are forced to sell. I, you know, I guess theoretically for Nelk, they want to continue to grow their brand to the point where there's always people who are going to be ready to buy. Yeah. But it's too, it's, it's so early. It's so we- early. I, I think that can benefit you and hurt you at the same time with releasing an NFT project. I think largely right now, because it's so kind of, you know, vague, the people right now, if like if you're Nelk and you want to cash out on the brand that you've built and YouTube won't pay you and you have to find all these alternative ways to make money, this is a fantastic way to cash out with your audience. Now, there's other things that are starting to happen in this space with like membership specifically and NFT as membership. Gary Vee is launching a restaurant that, you know, you buy an NFT and that gives you a seat in the restaurant or membership. Only people who hold the NFT can go to the restaurant. That's an example too of like, if that becomes a very hot restaurant, only the people holding the NFT can go to the restaurant. At some point, there's going to be a market for buying those off of the current members. So that's pretty interesting. For me, the main takeaway from all of this, $23 million in 10 minutes, that is more than Adidas made off of their NFT project when they partnered with Board Ape Yacht Club. Right. I mean, this is a creator brand that's generating more from their project than Adidas. And this creator brand just came about like in the last few years, right? Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I think it shows you the the stronghold that Nelk has on their audience and that they actually have a community. The last thing uh, that we put in the numbers in the published press is that 230,000 people joined their discord in 24 hours. That's a little overwhelming. I don't know how they're going to manage that, but, I don't know. It, but again, it just shows you how many people want to be a part of a deeper connection with Nelk Boys. There were a lot of people saying this is a scam. Do you think it's a scam? I don't think it's a scam because I, I, I mean, okay, I'm gonna be careful here. I don't think it's a scam because I think they were really vague with what they were promising. They were pretty loose with it. So I think if you're buying it, 
you kind of have to know that all of it is subject to if they actually do it or not. But I think if you're a buyer of this, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it was messaged as an investment opportunity. So I think you have to just know what you're buying and you look at it and you're like, that's pretty vague. I like the Nelk boys though. So I'm going to buy it. This is also their most engaged fans who are choosing to do this. The last thing you want to do is ruin their experience. Sure. Because they could be, as a consumer base, the people that carry out the majority of the sales they make across all of their properties for the next four or five years. Mm -hmm. You know? So you kind of have to treat these people who bought the NFT and who are now in this Discord that they launched with the utmost of respect because they actually did want that ownership in the brand's future. True. So I, I don't think it's a scam for that reason. So I don't now, think they can afford for it to be a scam. Yeah. I mean, if they want to be a long-term brand, the thing is they'll find ways, even if it's just through merchandise, right? If you're an NFT holder, you get access to an exclusive collection. It, all they have to do is make one cool exclusive experience a year for these people. And it's positive. The challenge is if no one resells, then at some point the $23 million might just be like, it's a fixed amount that they made. Hmm. Like what if no one resells? It's not a subscription. Yeah. Right. So it's a one shot thing. That's a lot of money though. Yeah. $23 million. That's I mean, a, a lot of money. That's a lot of money. They can probably yeah. do something. They yeah. can figure something out for the next couple of years. So speaking of a lot of money, we wrote about a creator who went from making six figures a year to completely broke. And that's Luke Corns, who I don't know if you know this. We've met Luke Corns. Where did we meet Luke Corns? Bufferfest. Oh yeah, with yeah. L Mills. He's, he's close he, with L Mills. Yes, he's a fantastic creator. Um, really talented. Really talented filmmaker. And I came across this video. The title was just so good. It says, I used to make six figures, but now I'm broke. How do you not click on that? Yeah. You, I mean, like there's so much tension in that title. And in the video, he tells the story of how, you know, he got to this point where he was making six figures at the age of 19 as a creator. And then his expenses go up. He's renting a $6,000 a month place in Los Angeles. The pandemic hits and he did a lot of traveling as part of his channel. He stops. He takes an entire year off of YouTube, but his expenses remain high. Then he tries to come back to YouTube and he finds that that year off was extremely detrimental to his viewership. He cannot keep the viewership that he was doing the year prior. So, he has to move out of his apartment, sell his car, and move home. He's at square one. And that's a story that is not just happening to Luke Corns. There is a scenario I feel like that's happening right now on YouTube where you see channels with 10 million subscribers, 15 million subscribers, and they're getting 7,000 views, 15,000 views. Yeah. I mean, your business has drastically changed in a year mm-hmm. because of that. I think it really goes to show you that right now subscribers just don't matter that much compared to views per video. Like views per video is your metric of consistency of community of, you know, even financial success Mm -hmm. subscribers is not. And you know, what we wrote here is, is not uploading as Luke Corns puts it is YouTube suicide. And I do think that there's an element to that. I, I, I think about this on both sides where if, if, consistency is a part of your value prop. So I'd say that's a big part of ours, right? When I was on this trip, there's a creator named Just Dustin, awesome guy. But he said to me, he was like, you guys are so consistent. I know your show comes out on Monday at 6 a.m. And I was like, 
that's right. That's when the show comes out. And he was like, I know, I know when it comes out. And I was like, that's so interesting. Cause I know when some of my favorite shows come out, um, and what time to expect them. And yeah. that helps me build habit and ritual. And that's a part of our value prop on the other side, biggest creator on the platform, Mr. Beast. We have no idea when his next video is coming and he's got no problem with that. It's been, it's been over a month since he's uploaded, right? Yeah. It might be six weeks and he'll just, he'll hit one and it'll just explode, but he's doing very viral content. So I think you have to decide on kind of your lane around what are you doing, right? Are you trying to make something that's just viral no matter what? That's like going to be an idea that people are going to click on. Do you know how to play that game or are you, you know, consistent, uh, and, and, a, and a creator who's building a relationship with your audience that's based in I'm here more yeah. often. And today you're only as good as your last video. Getting back to that idea right. of, you know, subscribers don't necessarily matter as much anymore. Right. The problem is you're only as good as your last video, but what's deemed good can change. Mm. And it can change in six months. It can change in a year. And that's kind of what happened to Luke Corns. Yeah. Is that during his year off, you know, what YouTube deemed as good content kind of changed, mm-hmm. right? It went from a platform where you could be a little bit more relationship-based, a little bit more casual. Maybe your thumbnail wasn't exactly perfect to a place where you kind of have to have your concepts dialed. I do think there's an element to being a creator that's almost similar to being an athlete, where, but there's no infrastructure around it. So Luke's, you know, 12 years old and making YouTube videos and, you know, that means by the time he's 19, he's been making content for seven years. And so he hits it, right? Like he gets it. If you're making content for seven years and you're really committed, you're going to figure out YouTube. And if you figure out YouTube, you're going to make money. And at 19 years old, he's making six figures. He's getting five figure brand deals. He's got income from merch. He's got AdSense. He's got live appearances. Whoever is managing him should not just be focused on the next deal or he should, there should be some infrastructure that you could plug into as a creator where someone's going to say, hey, let's take some of this money. Let's invest it over here. We were talking about this earlier this week. Like even for us right now, we're starting to recognize maybe we need to find a wealth manager or someone who can help us figure out how to turn, you know, money into money. And a lot of creators don't know how to do that. You know, and I think that that is an opportunity in our space right now, the creator economy. I think a lot of young people just don't know how to do that. 19 year old kid making hundreds of thousands of dollars. What does he do? He doesn't know, you know, and who's going to help him? And I think that there's a huge opportunity for that. And financial education is a, is a massive opportunity in our space. But then additionally, I think the other side of it is just recognizing that if you're going to do this, you're going to be a creator, you got to go all in and you got to figure out how to be consistent. Like a year off is really significant. A year in internet time is a decade, decade. right? Like a week in internet time feels like a lot. Mm -hmm. Like if if one of your favorite creators who uploads every week misses a week, it feels like you haven't seen them in ages when they upload again two weeks later because of how much content we're consuming on a daily basis. Yeah, it's it's sort of the good and the bad of being a creator. The good is that you always have another opportunity to sort of take a shot, put a video out, say something, be proud of yourself. But at the same time, you're always cognizant of the fact that you're on this hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. Like my stress levels throughout the week rise depending on where we are in the content in schedule. The, yeah, in the episode. You know? Mm-hmm. So it is one of those difficult parts about being a creator. I think it was one of the most illuminating things when we took two weeks off for the holidays, when we didn't have a video to upload, when we didn't have a Monday morning to check YouTube studio to see how it was doing. Like it felt so different. Like our weekly cadence is just a cycle of, you know, this process of putting something out. I mean, I was nervous 
from when we took two weeks off, when we came back, I was like, yeah. I really don't know how this video is going to do. I have no idea how the YouTube algorithm is going to approach this. Yeah. But luckily we were, luckily okay. it's been a great yeah, it's January. Been a good start it's, to the year. it's been a great January for us. So yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit too about my trip to Colorado and you know, how much you just shredded mainly how much I shredded on the mountain. Is it shred or shredded? I don't know. I think, I think I messed that up. Shrewd. Um, shrewd. Yeah. So I slayed the slopes. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I was on the slopes with, um, Eric, Thomas Bragg from Yes Theory, Ryan Trahan, Isaiah Photo, just like an awesome group of creators. Uh, we all went to Colorado. We went to go skiing and snowboarding, but we also went to do channel reviews, which was a really interesting experience, a very vulnerable experience where you're sitting in a room with like 15 creators and you play one of your videos and everyone gives feedback on your videos. I loved giving feedback primarily because that's even what we do on our show. We just watch YouTube and, you know, social and talk about what's working, what's not, how's it going and the the business of everything. Um, showing one of our videos, one of the most vulnerable, nerve wracking experiences of my life. I mean, even for us at our office, when we do yeah. watch throughs of our edits every, you know, whatever it is, Tuesday and Thursday, I get nervous. I hate that experience of watching it I know. and feeling when it's slow. Yeah. But it's part of the process. It's the most important part, actually, is to watch with other people because then you can really feel when it's slow, when it's fast, see when people laugh, when they smile. Like You really get a sense for what's good and what's not. All I can say is I think one of the most valuable experiences you can do as a creator is get together with a group of creators because everyone's going through the same thing. And I think in our industry, transparency, it's kind of what we talked about at the top of the episode, like everyone's sharing how much they made on TikTok transparency is huge in our industry and sitting together with a bunch of creators, you learn so much because, you know, Ryan and Eric have learned things that I've haven't learned and I've learned things that they haven't learned. And we're just sharing with each other and we're having ideas and we're having conversation over coffee and over dinner that some of those in-between moments were some of the most powerful just to talk about our mutual experiences and our ideas. And, you know, some of the highlights that I pulled away, especially when it came to our channel you know, I think there's, there's an element to, as we're starting to grow and starting to go explore other creators spaces of, of kind of leaning more into the value that you and I bring. Whereas when we first started, you know, making this style of content, like specifically the MKBHD studio tour, we, in our past life, were documenting an athlete. So the athlete was like the subject on the channel. And one of the, one of the most interesting pieces of feedback I got was that, they felt like you and I should be more the subject if it's a Colin and Samir video. In which, that video, we barely even we barely look speak. at the camera. Yeah. yeah, which makes complete sense. Like it's the channel called Colin and Samir. So, you know, I, it was very fascinating. We got very detailed notes. Um, all I can say is that all those guys are, are awesome. And I would recommend to anyone who's a creator or even an entrepreneur to find other people in your industry and sit together and give each other feedback on what you're doing. It was an incredibly valuable experience. And you were like going down black diamonds. Yeah, I was shredding. You were shredding. shredding. Yeah. Hair flowing in the wind. That was amazing. It was so fun. All I can think about is snowboarding now. We should go to the slopes, man. We should get up there. Uh, the only other thing I can think about now is um, interviewing Ludwig. Oh yeah, that's that's really funny. So Ludwig, um, arguably the, the, the one of the biggest streamers on the platform, uh, just released a clip uh, and maybe we'll play it to end this episode. Just a note. It is not a, uh, not, not safe for work. Yeah. So enjoy this last clip. That's your warning. Uh, and hopefully we'll see Ludwig on the show in the next year. 
probably in the next couple of months because uh feels like it's going to happen soon. Ludwig, we will only accept your apology if you come on the show. Colin and Samir, you're not going to get me. You're not Colin and Samir these nuts across your face, okay? Nice try. I know Colin and Samir is not a real thing. Fuck, I'm so sorry. Uh, Sorry, sorry to Samir if you get this. Colin by proximity. I just... <clears throat> Update, he accepted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Colin Smear Show. And does that make sense? He accepted? No, we're the ones to accept. What do you mean? I said update. He accepted. We said we would accept his apology. Oh, but he accepted coming on the show. Yes. Yeah. All right. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Colin and Smear Show. Subscribe to the Published Press if you haven't already. All the stories that we talked about today are straight from our newsletter, the Published Press. We cover the business of creators every Tuesday and Friday. You can subscribe at thepublishedpress.com. The link is also in the description for this podcast. 